Good morning. Today is April 3rd, April 4th, Monday. I'm Dan Margulis filling in for Rabbi Linzer. It's the 25th of 2nd Adar, coming up on Rosh Chodesh Nisan on Friday. No, Shabbat. Okay. And we have to pick up on the bottom of Kafkimul Amud Aleph 23a, uh, in the middle of the discussion about Eved Kanani. This is slaves and how are slaves acquired and how do slaves acquire their freedom. In the Mishnah, there was a machloki between Chachamim and Rabbi Meir about whether the Rabbi Meir says, uh, it's important to keep track of some of the details. Rabbi Meir says that how can a slave acquire his freedom? And at konet atzmo bekesef al yedei achirim, other people can buy his freedom, ubishtar al yedei atzmo, or he could receive a star shichrur, a, a divorce, uh, not a divorce, a freeing, a freeing freedom document uh, from from the slave master. Chachamim omrim bekesef al yedei atzmo. Chachamim disagree, it seems, and say he could pay his own freedom. However, bishtar al yedei achirim. He could only receive the shtar shichrur for his freedom uh, through another person. And there was a bit of shaklavitariya on Kafkim Ulamid Aleph that suggests perhaps there is a third opinion of Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar in the Mishnah as well. That is, Chachamim actually think that whether by money or by a shtar, the Evet can acquire his own freedom. But Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar is the one who says that uh, receiving the shtar must be al yidei achirim. So now we start with the last two words on Kefkim Lamed Aleph by Rava le Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar. So Rava asks... Right, it seems like Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar's opinion is that we would not hold by Gito v'yado b'ayim ke'echad, which was, in general, a principle we saw throughout Masech Gitin uh, and was crucial to understanding how divorce works and how the freedom of a slave works. So the fact that Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar's opinion uh, pops up here is important to note, as well it's important to note the general principle that even in learning halachot that are mostly found in one mesechta, often there will be little pieces that pop up here and there across other mesechtot, and that's why we have Rishonim and Achronim to point us to the fact that we have to keep our eyes open uh, and they connect the dots for us. So Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, so Rav asked a question on Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, Eved Kanani, Mahu, Shiaseh Shaliach, Lekabel Gito, Miad Rabbaoken, and Eved Kanani make a Shaliach to receive his Get Shichur from his master, Kevan de Gamar Lala Meisha, because we learn the freedom of Eved Kanani by a Gzera Shava of the word La from divorce, Keisha, that is, he could be compared to a woman who does have the power to make a shaliach to receive her divorce get. So, or would we distinguish and say a woman who has the power to receive her own get, so too she has the power to make a shaliach. But a slave who does not have the power, according to Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, to receive his own get, shaliach nami lo and he would therefore be unable to receive, to make a shaliach, to receive his own get as well. That is Rava's question, the assumption being that this is an absurd position to take. That is, obviously, a slave should be able to make a shaliach to receive his get, and therefore, it seems to be a major flaw with Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar's opinion. And the answer... I mean, so had a, a shaliach should be able to get his own get too, I would think. I think it's a package deal, personally. Oh, well, we're going to see. So, Bater de Baya had So, the Rav answers his own question. Lala Meisha, Keisha. So, we do learn the Xerashava Lala Meisha. And therefore, a slave being freed is compared to a divorce. 
that is, that it's derived from divorce. The so, and this is like the Machlokas that we saw, or the question that we saw in Masachas Nidarim, that is from Rav Huna Brei, Zerv Yehoshua, are the Kohanim, Shuluchei de Rachmana Ninhu, are they uh, the representatives of the Torah, the representatives of God, when they do the Avodah, Di Isal Kadaitach, Shuluchei Didan Ninhu, if we would think that the Kohanim are our Shuluchim, that is, if a person comes and brings a Korban, so, are there shalichim? Can a shaliach ever do something that the person, the mishaleach, who empowers the shaliach, is unable to do him or herself? So, that is false, right? We know that general principle from Masechus Nazir. Nazir Daf Yudet, the principle that a shaliach is only able to be created to do something that you have the power to do yourself. So obviously, the Kohanim, since Kohanim can do the Avoda, but a Yisrael cannot do the Avoda, it must be that the Kohanim are not the Shlichim of B'nai Yisrael, they must be God's Shlichim. Now obviously all of the layers of meaning that's built upon this sugya is of major importance to understand in Kachim Shem. have any practical application? Well, nowadays it certainly doesn't have practical well, application. Meaning like we say, who's, who's Correct. The no, the Nafkamina in Masechus is Darim was the question of if no, you're no, Mudar no, Hana, no, if you're Mudar Hana from a Kohen, the Nafkamina is whether that Kohen could do Avoda for you or not. Oh. So that is the question of whether he is your Shaliach or whether he's just doing the Avoda for God and he happens to be doing your Korban today. Nafkamina is how we think theologically. Well, I'm practical. Okay, there's a lot of material to cover today. We're going to have to keep going. That's okay. Okay. Mati Abdi, Li Abdi, the Ihu Mati Makabu Gita, the Shaliach Mati Mashve, below. Uh, Yisrael, lo korbanos klal. No, the distinction between this sugi and the sugi nedarim is like this. A Yisrael does not have any connection to korbanos, meaning the avoda in general must be done totally by kohanim, and therefore Yisrael is totally excluded. However, eved shayach begitin, an eved, a slave, is fully connected to the notion of his bill of uh, freedom, Detanya, nirin hadvarim shaheved mekabogito shel chavero miad rabbo shel chavero. A slave could receive his f- slave friend's uh, freedom uh, star, his getshichror, from that slave's master. That is, he could himself be made a shaliach for his friend to receive the get. However, the problem is not a problem that the Eved is unable to receive a get shichrur. The problem is that um, and therefore, whatever the slave acquires, the master himself acquires. Therefore, a slave cannot receive his own get shichrur into his own hand because it would be like the master giving it back to himself. And therefore, the slave would never really receive it. So that's exactly the question. And that's the point, is that according to Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, who does not hold by the principle of Gito Vayado Bayim Ke'echad, that's why he would think that the slave cannot accept his own get shichrur, and that is why Rabbi Shem ben Elazar's uh, opinion is particularly interesting. No, no, I got that, but he said right. Nirinad Varim. It seems like he's saying that according to Rabbi Shem ben Elazar, or just saying that I'm... No, meaning that, that Brisa sounds like it is according to Rabbi Shem ben Elazar's opinion, that Brisa is not Correct. Okay. It seems like the halacha would be like Chachamim uh, without any other... Clarification. I feel like that's how well, it should go. Well, so maybe if it says Nirin Hadvarim, so that sounds like then, yeah, this price, this anonymous price that supports Rabbi Shimon Ben-Lazar, maybe should be like Rabbi Shimon Ben-Lazar. That sounds right. Okay. So that was, the, now, again, going back, 
this sugya is now not going to be discussing Rav Shimon ben Alatar. This is going to take the original assumption of the Mishnah that the Mishnah was just machlokas between Rabbi Meir and Chachamim. Rabbi Meir says that the slave can acquire his own freedom. Rabbi Meir says bekesef al yedei achirim ubishtar al yedei atzmo. So other people can buy his freedom, and Chachamim say bekesef al yedei atzmo. However, they say ubilvad shiehe hakesef michel achirim. So even though he can receive the money himself. Like he can, he can hand the money to the Baal, but the money must belong to other people. So that's kind of a strange opinion. What does that mean for Chachamim? So Chachamim said, Bilvad Shia Kesef Meshalachem. Name it Bahakami Palgi. There would be Meir Savar, Ain Kinyan Laevit below Rabo. There would be Meir thinks that a slave cannot acquire anything for himself without the master's consent and if it were with the master's consent then he was acquiring it for the master anyway and a woman the same thing that whatever a woman is acquiring goes to her husband and therefore um, if she if someone would try to transfer something to the woman by herself it wouldn't work the Rabbanan the Chachamim think that the slave can acquire something without the master and therefore the, the slave himself would have an ability to have money of himself but that's why the Mishnah has to come and say and a woman can acquire something without her husband okay no, let's not read it that way. Let's assume everyone considers that is, the slave cannot acquire anything without the master. And a woman cannot acquire anything without it transferring to her husband. They can make a deal not to, right? Ah, so we're going to see. What if someone goes to the slave and says, here's a $100 bill on the condition that it, your master does not have rights to it. That is, you only acquire it if the master does not. And therefore, he's trying to circumvent kol mashakana eved kanarabo. So he says, so that's the machlokas. That's the machlokas between Rabbi Meir and Chachamim. <laughs> Rabbi Meir savar ki amar le kane eved vekane rabe. So Rabbi Meir thinks when he says, acquire it, the slave acquires it, and therefore, the master acquires it. Vekhi amar le almenat lo klum kamar le. And it, the trying to make this condition almanat doesn't work. No legal Has no force because you're trying to undermine the basic notion of what slavery is about, which is that you don't have your own legal standing. But this is Evid Kanami, right? This is Evid Kanami, correct. Evid Ivri is a, a full standing Jewish Jewish man. The Rabbanan Savri Kevan da Amar almanat. Then the rabbis think that this condition, this almanat condition, does work. And so when he says almanat, it would work. No. Nobody disagrees that when the slave acquires it, the master acquires it. No. It can't be that someone tried to give the slave the money and then the slave took the money and tried to buy his own freedom because everyone would agree when the slave tries to just own $100 that it would go to the master. So Rabbi Eliezer says, no, no, Rabbi Elazar says it must be in one process. That is, someone goes up to the slave, gives him the $100 bill, and says, by me giving this to you, now think about it, if it's Komashikana Eved Kanarabo, so then it will be going to the slave master. So he is trying to buy the slave's freedom by giving $100 to the slave. So that's the mechanism that's at play. Rabbi Meir Savar, Ki Amar Lei, Kani, Kani Eved, Kani Rabbe. And Rabbi Meir thinks that that would work. Vichi Amar Lei, Amenat, Lo Klum Kamar Lei. But when he says Amenat, 
the condition that it should be al-manat, that you go free, doesn't work. So it's just like giving $100 to the slave master. But Rabban and Sabri... You're going to get the money back, really, because the only reason you're doing that was to... Well, that's a question of, a, of the, the deal not going through, right. But the point is that what, what you tried to do didn't work. Um, the uh, so and therefore and the the rabbi's opinion is that when you say it like that so for him also meaning that it goes to him that is that it would work that this condition would work and therefore that the slave can go free because it's like giving it to the master. That is, Rabbi Meir and Chachamim both agree that it's like giving it to the master. The question is whether by giving money to the slave who then acquires it on the master's behalf, does that work to free the slave or not? That's the question. It's kind of the opposite. That is, he acquires his own freedom precisely because right now he is not his own person. Right. So let me just understand this. So, so basically, this is, only, this is the only way an Evid can quote-unquote get money according to both opinions? Well, and even there, according to Rabbi Elazar, he can't. That is, an Evid has no ability to have private ownership, and that's different than a married woman. A married woman obviously is allowed to have her own private assets that are reserved and set aside, separate from the principle of Komasha Kana Isha Kanabala, which has more to do with Shibudim and Peyrot and not. So there are a lot of layers of ownership in a marital relationship and shared bank account and separate bank account, which we're going to get to right now, the question of Matsur Shaney. And according to Evan is not acquiring the money. Right, that's what I'm saying. Right. I mean, like, I, I was... Right, I mean, and Evan can't you know, own anything. Even that, according to... Right. You know, but, but according to the position that Evan Ivri Gufo Kanoe... So, but Evan Ivri, the position about Evan Ivri Gufo Kanoe is more about his marital relationship, is about the relationship with uh, Shifcha Knanit, is much less in any sense about the fact that the Evan Ivri loses his legal standing as... He is a Gufo Kanoe. He still, you still can't give him something he doesn't have to consult with his master? Of course, Eved Ivri is a, is a person. No, don't he, don't, he doesn't have to consult with Correct. him. Correct. There's no principle of Kol Masha Kana Eved by Eved Ivri. Eved Ivri, that's the Mishnah in Bava Metziah, right? Elu Metziah uh, Shalei, um, in the second parak, there's a list of who are the people who, who, um, um, no, not about the Hakraza. It's, it's later in the second parak. Um, but so the list of Banav uh, Ubnotab Hagdolim and Eved Ivri and and um, and it's Ishto Megureshet or something like that. So a list of people for whom they have their own ownership for Mitziot and that's separate for people who are or Megureshet and No, meaning Eved Ivri. No one thinks that Eved Ivri is Kona for the master. The point is we're talking about Eved Kanani. It's a separate halachic point and, it, and Eved Ivri is, a, is an adult, is, is a, a human being separate from an Eved Kanani. Eved Kanani is much more like Think, I mean, obviously, this is what's so deeply problematic about it, but it's thinking about a human being much more like property in the sense of thinking about this person is much more like, like livestock that is owned by, by the slave master. And that's why the, the rights that the master has to whatever this person does as a slave is much closer to how you would imagine really a full extension of the owner's, of the owner's power. Uh, that's really what's deeply problematic about slavery, and that's why we, it, we don't do it anymore. Okay, the last line of Kafkimul Amud, Amud Bet, Rami Adrabi Meir Adrabi Meir, Rami Adrabanan Adrabi Adrabanan Zetanias. We have a brisa that's now going to contradict both Rabbi Meir's shita and Rabbanan shita. It sounds like in this brisa they have the opposite opinion. So we're going to see. Ein isha hodeh maser sheni below chomesh. 
a woman cannot redeem Maser Sheni without paying a Chomish. That means, what's the case? Maser Sheni, if you are poda your own Maser Sheni, the Torah requires that you pay Chomish. Chomish being 25% extra, you pay 125% of the price of the Maser Sheni. No, Chomish is one-fifth of the final amount, so it's 25%. That's the tricksy part. Uh, so 25%, and that's kind of like a fine on relying on Pidyon, redeeming the Maser Sheni. Normally, you would want to actually be able to schlep all of your produce to Yerushalayim to eat it there. Those fruits have the Kedushat Maser Sheni themselves. But if it's too far, too many fruits, thank God you're so prosperous it's too hard to schlep. So you transfer the Kedushat Maser Sheni onto money, and then you add a Chomesh. So you bring 125% of the value of that Maser Sheni produce. You go to Yerushalayim and you buy new fruits and eat it there. So my focus between the Ramban and the Rambam in Sefer HaMitzvot about whether there is a mitzvah to eat Maser Sheni or not. The Rambam seems to think there's no mitzvah specifically to eat the Maser Sheni. It's more Aseha uh, Ba He thinks there are prohibitions about not eating Maser Sheni but nothing about actually a mitzvah to eat it and Ramban disagrees. So, Isha, Ein Isha Podeh Maser Sheni below Chomish. That means if a woman is being Podeh her, presumably the produce of her and her husband's field, uh, she's poda that Master Shani fruit onto silver money, so she does not uh, get to exempt herself from the Chomish, that means that she has to pay Chomish, that means it's considered to be hers, or that she's acting on her husband's behalf as a, as a Shaliyah. Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, Omer, Mishum Rabbi Meir, not as a Shaliyah, sorry. Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, Omer, Mishum Rabbi Meir, Isha Podem Maser Sheni below Chomesh. And Rabbi Meir's opinion is that she could not pay the Chomesh, that is, that a woman is separate from her husband in this regard. So, Hechidami, Maybe it's the husband's money and it's the husband's fruits. So So then she's just doing the shlichut of the husband, and then she should have to pay master chomesh. What if it's her money and the husband's fruits? Isha So it sounds like from the Torah there's a special drasha to exclude a woman from paying chomesh. This is a major machlokus between Rashi and Tosos. Rashi here and Tosos towards the bottom where it says Hachi Garcin and Rashi Ella Bezuze Dida Uv Master Diday and it has to do with extensively about what is the exemption a, a woman's exemption from a Master Shani is it a much more general exemption Tosos seems to understand it's much more about uh, the question of how bringing Master Shani to Yerushalayim and eating it there is connected to uh, the mitzvah of Talmud Torah because the Torah talks about Vilamarita uh, uh, yeah, by, uh, so that seems to be the question there, and there's extensive question in Tosos, but part of that question has to do with how intrinsic is the question of Chomesh to the question of Maser Sheni. Obviously, a woman has obligation to separate Maser Sheni and eat it in Yerushalayim, the same as a man. The question is, is the Chomesh connected to the taking of Maser Sheni in general? Being Pode Maser Sheni is part of the mitzvah, and adding a Chomesh is just part of the Pidyon, or is the Chomesh some separate tax that's added on separately that could have different rules? So, Batosos doesn't like Rashi's Girsa, it's a bit complicated, but that's part of the question there. So it says, Ish Amarachmana below Isha, Elalav, Kihagavne, the Akne La, Acher, Mane, the Amarla, Almenat, Shetifti, Boet Hamaser. No, another person came to this woman and gave her a piece of a silver coin and said to her, Use this money. Wait, what was the question with Isha below Isha? Meaning that the woman herself is exclude. Look at what Rashi says. 
Ish Amarachmana Velo Isha Ish Mimasero Amarachmana Velo Isha Mimaser Bala the Ish Ke Acher Damya. A woman is considered to be a separate person from her husband regarding Maser Sheni that she should not have to pay the Chomesh. Yeah, so the question would be what? So that that's, that that agrees with our mayor. Yeah, that's the support for Rabbi Mayor. I thought that was a question. The question is, the question is that this this uh, brisa from Josefta uh, uh, in Meiser Sheni seems to contradict the opinions we had lined up about Eved Knani for Eved Knani. That is, Eved Knani, according to Rabbi Mayer, Rabbi Mayer thinks that the slave uh, cannot even be given money on the condition that he frees himself right now, and the Chachamim say that that would work. And here, Rabbi Mayer's opinion says what? We were just getting to it. So the whole point of the what case are we talking about? The Aknelacher Maneva Amarla Minach Tifti Boat Hamaser. Rabbi Mayer must be talking about a case where someone else came to this woman and said, Here is this money to use for Pidion Master Shane. Because otherwise, how could you have a case where the woman is using uh, money that does not belong to her husband to be Poda Master Shane that does belong to her husband, therefore that she could avoid the Chomish. So one answer then we have to say is we just heard it reversed that is one of these two sources probably the Brisa is reverse of Chachamim's opinion in Rabbi Meir's position and that way we solve the contradiction that is Rabbanan will still say that it works so giving someone uh, something almanat that you use it specifically for this purpose uh, even when it's something that remains outside of your ownership and Rabbi Meir would disagree but Amar Ipuch so Abai says fine it's reversed Rabbi Amar le'olam lo tepoch. No, I don't like switching around Mishnayot and Brightot to just make it fit. Obviously, you have to understand what the Machalket is about. And Rabbi is going to introduce a distinction between Maser Sheni with a married woman and uh, the freedom of a slave. The hacha b'Maser the atzmi be'inashaskina. No, we're talking about Maser which was inherited. That is, this woman's father died, and she has no brothers, so she inherits the father's property, including Maser Sheni fruits. And now, what is trying to, what's she trying to do? She wants to, the, so the Master Shani fruits totally belong to her. And that's the point. And that's why there's this special exemption of a woman to pay Chomesh, separate from the fact that, so she, she must be acting on her own accord for her own property, and nonetheless, she's exempted from the Chomesh. Rabbi Meir Litame, Damar, Maser, Mamon Hekdeshu. Rabbi Meir thinks that Maser is owned by Hekdesh, that is, Master Shani really belongs to God. And this is a fundamental machokas, velo kani lebal, and the husband does not acquire it. Verabanan latamai hu daamre mamon hediot hu the kani lebal. And the rabbis, the chachamim, think that maser sheni actually belongs to the is is your own money, and therefore the husband acquires it. Hilchach shiluchite lebal kaabda, and then the woman is really just doing the shlichut of her husband or not. So Rabbi Meir thinks she is doing it for herself because it really belongs to Hektish and it's her responsibility to deal with her own Maser Sheni. And Rabbanan think that Maser Sheni is money and transfers to the husband and therefore she's doing it on her husband's behalf and that's why she would have to do the Chomesh. You don't need the inheritance case then. In other words, you have a more fundamental Machokis as to whether or not the Maser Sheni belongs to Kadesh Baruch Hu or, or not. Right, so so even if it's the payroll from the Baal, it came from the Baal. Once it's Master Shani, it's no longer his, and you could still argue that she could. Ah, okay. So that's going to be a separate yeah, question. That is, we can bifurcate. Yes, it is clear, but we have to bifurcate 
two different aspects of what's going on with Matzah Shani. We have to talk about the monetary value, right. and we have to talk about the obligation intrinsic to the fruits of Matzah Shani to eat them in Yerushalayim. So, uh, and that's the way uh, many of the Akronim try to frame it, which is that Matzah Shani could be inherited. Matzah Shani, you can use a, a um, etrog of Matzah Shani on Sukkot. That is, it can belong to you in a monetary sense, but at some level, it still could be connected somehow still Shel Gavoa. And obviously the way that Mater is Shel Gavoa or Shel, um, Shel Hektesh is different than, than other kinds of Hektesh in that what? Mater Shani, everyone is allowed to eat it. But you have to eat it by Tara in Yerushalayim. But even Yisraelim can eat it. It's different than Korbanot and things like that you get a full full definition of the city of Yerushalayim, like certain kinds of Kudshim. It's similar in some sense to, to the Bechor and Maser Behema. So Maser Shani and Maser Behema are similar uh, in many ways. But Maser Shani, at the same time, you could be Poda and, and purchase other things. So it's a more fluid kind of Hektesh, but at its core somehow is still an obligation coming from God. It's also interesting just to think about who owns the fruits, right? Do you own the fruits and you're giving them to God? You're bringing them to Yerushalayim to eat them with God? Or really, no, it really belongs to God. And you have to, in order to be allowed to eat it, you have to go to Yerushalayim because that's where it belongs. So that's part of the question as well. Truma is almost the opposite. Truma, the fruit belongs to me. And I have to then transfer it to the coin. That's almost the opposite of Maser Sheni, where Maser Sheni, the Gemara is telling us, belongs to God and I have to eat it myself but in Yerushalayim. So that's part of the interesting... And Matzah Shani, again, becomes a major test case for all sorts of different kinds of things. It has monetary aspects, it has korbanot aspects, it has many different layers. Okay, Tana. Tana Yosebish... Uh, so we have now a, a Brisa talking about how else can an Eved Kanani go free? Interesting question, just to think about why are these listed here not in the Mishnah? So Tana. Yosebishen Vayin. A slave goes free if the master knocks out his tooth or his eye. Viroshe Ibarim She'inan Chosrim and the tips of limbs that do not grow back. There are 24 limbs that have that their tip. This is also the place where you can't get um, tarat because you can't see it from all sides. If it's at the tip, you have to look at it from different angles in order to see it all at once. That's the idea. So by negaim, uh, the tips of the limbs also have a special significance. So here too, with a slave going free. So The tips of the limbs that do not grow back. So a tooth and an eye are mentioned explicitly in the Torah. So that's why you should go free. How do I know also from the tips of the limbs? So It's because they're similar to the tooth and the, and the eye. Just like the tooth and the eye are uh, visible blemishes. That is, they are on parts of the body that are exposed. And they don't grow back. So any kind of uh, defect, any kind of injury to the body that is visible and does not grow back. It doesn't have to be just uh, the tips of the limbs, maybe. And maybe since Shain and Ayn are both mentioned explicitly, that becomes like a Binyan Av Mishveik Tuvim. There are two 
references to specific exceptions and therefore because there are two exceptions we can't build a general case from it this is actually Machlokas Tanaim we're going to see in the, towards the end of the first parak. but if there are two examples of something we can't make a generalization unless we need each of them so if it had just said a tooth I would have thought even a milk tooth milk tooth that is what we call a baby tooth Okay, uh, Rashi says Shein sheyanakba, a tooth that grows in while you're still nursing. Interesting also to note the fact that maybe we uh, often wean children off of uh, breastfeeding earlier than uh, in the times of Chazal. Perhaps not. I don't know. Different families do different things. So katabrachmana ayin. That's why the Torah includes the eye as well. Ikatabrachmana ayin. If the Torah had only mentioned the eye, habamina ma'ayin nivraimo. The eye is created with you. Afkol shenivraimo. So then every Everything that is created with you, aval shein lo, but not the tooth, because the teeth grow in later. Tzricha, and that's why we need both. Interesting, the Gemara Nida in the list of all the different parts of the body that the different parents and God contribute to the growing uh, fetus and w- when a uh, child is born. So the teeth are mentioned as part of the white. Uh, parts of the body like the white of the eye the bones and things like that the teeth are also mentioned so it's interesting to consider do we think the teeth grow in after the child is born or the teeth you know again medically also the question about permanent teeth and when they form and all sorts of interesting things and hair also grows in later Later, well also hair is not meaning I cut your hair there's no permanent damage by any means Um, okay so maybe we should read the pasuk like this to try to see klauprat it says, Kiyake, if you strike. So that's a general, general mention. Shane Vain Prat, and then the mention of the tooth and the eye are specific. So, Klalu Prat, Ein Prat. And therefore, you should not go free except for tooth and eye, because the Prat comes to limit the Klal. Okay? So, so for no other limbs you go free so the end of the pasuk says you have to send him free no the end goes free when he goes free so that tells you that it's a more general notion and in fact if then the generality at the end comes to expand the notion of the specifics in the middle so then you follow the prat you have to make it general, but it has to follow the rules of the Prat. Maha Prat Mefurash Mum Shibagalu Ve'inan Chosrim So just like it is a visible blemish that does not grow back, Av Komum Shibagalu Ve'inan Chosrim So any visible blemish that does not grow back. So I Maha Prat Mefurash Mum Shibagalu Ubatel Mimlachto No, the Torah is specific. It's not just that it doesn't grow back. Also that it's Batel Mimlachto That the knocking out of a tooth or, or knocking out of an eye actually uh, cancels out the ability of that limb to do its normal function and it doesn't grow back if it's visible it does not grow back and it cannot do its normal function it's like this what if the slave master came and pulled on his beard and therefore by pulling on the beard it dislocated the slave's jaw that is, his jawbone was dislocated. Okay. So, Eve Yotze Bahem Lecherus. So then the slave goes free because of that too. That means that because he won't be able to eat properly anymore, to chew properly, that's also considered to be 
it's mumim shebagalui because you could notice when someone's jaw is dislocated. It's not chazer. You, you it, the jaw cannot go back in on its own, and it, it's batel mimlachto because you can't eat properly anymore. So you're saying it has to be able to go back on its own. Or well, chazer. What does chazer mean? It heals. It's some kind of injury that heals. I mean, with with medical right. They didn't have that medical. Like Presumably, and that's an interesting question. If there were slaves now, but we also had medical, modern medicine, how much would we consider the ability to even, you know, repair a lost tooth, or, or to reinsert the tooth, or to in, in, have a false, a, a false tooth to attach a hand, right? Uh, attach a finger. A broken arm. I feel like they had some knowledge of setting the bone, but for the jaw, maybe it was different. Even if it would set, it wouldn't set properly. I'm not 100% sure about that, but that's the suggestion here, at least from that price of that dislocated jaw. Uh, maybe it's not exactly about the dislocation. Maybe it's something else. Not 100% sure. Okay, so the chavshia shel chenu. So you have to send him free. Ribuyahu. So if it's a ribuya, if it's a, a very general notion, so then it should even include if he punched the slave on the arm and his arm withered or the arm got very damaged, but so falachzor, in the end it healed after a long time. So nama amitanya, hikehu al yado vetsamta ve so falachzor, ein eved yosib And that's why the Brisa has to mention explicitly that if he punches him in the arm, and the arm goes dead for a long time, but eventually he'll heals again, then that would be, would not be a reason for the slaves to go free. So that concrete example, that statement teaches us how to limit the hermeneutic application of right. the Exactly. And that's exactly a point that the notion of choser or eno choser becomes an important qualification here. So in Cain, Shane Vain, my Ahanilei. So then why should the tooth and the eye be the examples given? For all of these, the slave goes free. So what's the difference? So according to Rabbi Shimon, for injuring any of these limbs, the slave needs a get shichrur. That is, it creates an obligation for the master to free the slave by a normal mechanism. It's not a way for the slave to go free. Rabbi Meir Omer, Eino Tzarich. Rabbi Meir thinks the injury to the slave is itself a mechanism for the slave to go free. So Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Eliezer Omer Tzarich, and Rabbi Eliezer agrees with Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Tarfon Omer, Eino Tzarich. Rabbi Tarfon agrees with Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Akiva Omer Tzarich. And Rabbi Akiva agrees with Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Eliezer. So, Hamachri'im Lisnechachamim Omrim, Nir Indiri Rabbi Tarfon, Beshain Va'ayin. So they agree with Rabbi Tarfon and Rabbi Shimon in a case of Shain Va'ayin, which are mentioned explicitly in the Torah, that the tooth and the eye, that works without a get shikhrur. Shehatorah Zachtalo. Because the Torah itself mentioned them explicitly, so the mechanism is somehow already at play. Now again, this goes back to the, the discussion of the Gemara and Sota that talked about um, how... Uh, never mind. Uh, too far afield. Okay. Shatar Zichtalo. And Rabbi Akiva, by other limbs, that is injury to the tip of the finger or something like that, uh, that he would still he would create an obligation on the master to write against Shechrur for the slave. Yeah. The Machrim, that is when this Machloket came before a more general group of Chachamim, and they had to decide how the Halacha should be, they adopted a compromise position. They said Rabbi Tarfon makes sense for Shein Ba'ayin, and Rabbi Akiva makes sense for other limbs, and we're going to see why. Ho'il uknas Chachamim hu, because it's actually only Rabbinic. Knas hu? 
Cry Kadarshinan. What do you mean? It's it's rabbinic. Whoever said that the other limbs are rabbinic? We learn them from Klalu Pratu Klal. Klalu Pratu Klal is a drash on a pasuk. So how can you say that that's only a rabbinic mechanism? Okay. Elahoyl u midrash chachamim hu. Because it's a midrash chachamim, it's not explicit in the pasuk, and we see especially the Rambam distinguishes between things which are learned out from drashot and things which are explicit in the psukim, that those, even if they carry what we, what we would call deoraita weight, uh, things that are learned from drashot have somehow lesser halachic weight than things which are explicit in the Torah. You look fascinating Lesser halachic weight meaning not doraita? Meaning, so what not what the Rambam would call the Oraita. Right. So we would call it the Oraita. And that's a machloka between Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakish. I forget where now, about whether the majority of the Torah is Torah Shibichtav or the majority is Torah Shibalpeh. How could they have such a machloka? It's whether they count things learned from Drashot as Torah Shibalpeh or Torah Shibichtav. So if it's Torah Shibichtav, it means it really is connected to the Psukim. It really is buried inside the, the written Torah. And the fact that Chazal had to use Drashot to extract it just means that they're uncovering something that was hidden. But if you want to say that the majority is Torah Shibalpeh, then even Drashot, which are based on Psukim, are not really in the Psukim. They're sort of uh, somehow really were an oral tradition or oral halachot or legislation that was then connected to the Psukim afterwards. Okay. So my time is Rabbi Shimon. How can Rabbi Shimon have this opinion? So Yali Shiluach Shiluach Meisha. He learns the freeing of a slave from a woman who gets divorced. Ma Isha Bishtar Af Nami Bishtar. Because a woman is divorced by by a get, so too a slave has to go free with with a get Shtar Shichur. Rabbi Meir Ikatav Choshi Libasov Kedikamar Hashtarchiv Lachovshiach Shalchanu. The pasuk says Lachovshiach Shalchanu. You have to send him free. He's actually already free. Meaning that at the time of the injury, not there is a mitzvah to free him, but that he actually already went free. Almost, well, it's interesting, it's not even gitoviado, right? You punch him in the eye or He's something, he becomes free. Right. In that sec- so that's really a question about what is this guarantee on the slave's well-being? This is about... Not, this is really a disincentive to the slave master to injure slaves. Mm-hmm. The question is, is it, what kind of a disincentive is it? If it were just a disincentive, then it would be fine to hold like, like Rabbi Shimon. That is, it creates an obligation to free the slave normally. But according to Rabbi Meir's position, a maltreated slave actually you, the the master has undermined the halachic responsibility that he has as a slave master and totally falls out of the picture. It's almost like it's not that the slave is going free; it's that the master loses his slave masterness, and therefore, without an adon, the slave becomes free automatically, almost because he violated the responsibilities. Right, but the point is that for this, the relationship with this slave. Under, it's, it's almost like right. It's like the difference between uh, divorce and and the death of the husband. The death of the husband is sort of the husband is leaving the picture, and with divorce, it's the wife who's being divorced. So really, different mechanisms about ending marriage as well. Tarabanan hikehu al eno usima'a. What if he hit him on his eye? and the eye went blind. That is, not that the eye was physically damaged, but that the eye loses its ability to see. Al-Ozno or if he hit him on the ear, and he went deaf in that ear, 
And then the slave goes free from those kinds of injuries. That is, that becoming blind or becoming deaf in that ear or that eye uh, is enough of an injury to that limb to be considered that, that it was damaged in that way. So, hmm? Who pays for the injury? What kind of an injury? Yeah. Who pays for the injury? Well, the slave goes free because of it. So in the sense, that is enough. Well, but now, what? You'll, but he can still see in one eye or something like yeah, that. The master then have to pay no, the, the master does not have to pay any other damages. That is because the slave buys his own freedom through this injury. Uh, it is a good question. It's a very good question, actually. Um, it's interesting. What if the injury to the slave were somehow worth more than his slave value? Uh, I think in general slaves value probably would be much higher than the, any right. I- individual injury but it's an interesting question I mean, um, we don't because you said that like the fact that he's getting if it was a good work right, right the question of is it chus or chova right so like I don't know okay so neged eno the eno roe keneged ozno the eno shomea so what if you didn't punch him in the eye what if you somehow made made and something happen right in front of his eye so that he lost his sight and it's interesting it doesn't say usama'a made the eye blind but eno roe he cannot see interesting how the injury is framed differently but somehow a non-contact injury that results in the slave either losing his ability to see through that eye or losing his ability to hear through that ear but non-contact injury the slave does not go free amar lenemra that's to tell you that coal, that is a, a sound, does not have a physical form. Vehatani, but isn't there this uh, brisa that came up in, in Bavakama? So Rami Bar Yechezkel, Tarnagol Shehoshit Rosho Le'avir Klizechuchit Vetakabo Ushivaro Mishalim Nezek Shalim. If a chicken puts its head inside of a glass vessel and crows uh, inside the glass, and the glass breaks. This is a Talmudic yeah, approach to the opera, the fat lady sings. Um, so the chicken puts its head inside the glass and the crows and the glass breaks, but the chicken did not contact the glass in any way. According to Somakos' view, Mishalim Nezek Shalim, he pays full Nezek. The Amar of Yosef, Amar Beirav, Sus Shetzanaf, the Chamor Shena'ar, Vishabru Kalim, Betochabai, Mishalmim, Chatsi Nezek. And the opinion from Beirav that if a, su- uh, a horse, uh, uh, whinnies and a uh, uh, donkey braze and they broke kalim that are in the house uh, they, uh, you pay chetzi nezik you pay half nezik that's Rabbanan shita so it's machloket between somakos and Rabbanan but the po- whether you pay full nezik or half nezik but the point is you still are responsible for it so coal that is a sound if you're, an animal makes a sound that causes damage to something just by the transfer of sound that's enough to be considered chayev for nezikin. So why with the slave is it not enough reason for the slave to go free? And now let's note, there's a difference between causing damage and, and performing an injury. That is, damaging someone's property is perhaps different than the kind of violation that results in the slave's freedom. Actually, actively injuring the slave in a very physical way is perhaps more in, in, in line with what the Torah is talking about, but let's see what it says here. Marley, shiny adam, the kivan, so a person is different that is when a person is injured rather than a kli because a person who is a bardat somehow even the victim is somehow involved in the act of being injured um, not exactly sure how to characterize 
the victim's role in being blinded or, or like making a loud noise next to someone's ear and they become deaf being different than making a loud noise next to someone's glass and the glass breaks uh, not exactly sure how to distinguish but the point is that somehow the person's active awareness being a bardot is enough of a reason to say that this person uh, should there's some responsibility for the resultant injury somehow it's somehow I can't say active because the slave was not active in his own going deaf but somehow um, it's less physical and more or I don't even know exactly the right word to it's altercation of some sort right, it's, it, right. The tango, somehow right in some minimal way enough right. to have legal force right enough to make it so that it's not enough for the slave to go free from that kind of injury right well that's what I was trying to say before that maybe because it's not a physical contact injury that it's less about getting in a fight it's less about hurting the person and was more that, and that's the difference between Usima'a or Vichersha compared to Eino Ro'e, Eino Shomea, that the, uh, the loss of ability to see or ability to hear is somehow less than the active injury to the, the physical body. I think it's like somewhat psychological. Almost. Maybe it's psychological. I, I don't know. It's, it's tricky to try to pin down. Yeah. Um, you shine a very bright or someone. It's not about them being there. Like they could have left the room and some exactly. from the room. Right. 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 But I don't know. You have to parse how the right. was in somehow involved. Right. 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 Somehow. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's such that it has there's some responsibility. But it's also just to note, right, the fact yeah, that that, that it is being distinguished from right. from a kli, right? So that's obviously in some sense uh, more human. In, in more human, it's right? Human this is the thing. A human is a bardat, and a human being has a different kind of standing in halacha than than kilim. So this is uh, similar. Uh, okay, so the same kind of a case where you injure someone sort of by somehow the sound waves. If you blow in someone's ear and make him go deaf, patur. But if you hold on to him and blow into his ear and he becomes deaf, then you're chayav. That is, taka, like to blow, like like to make a loud noise. Oh, I got it. Okay, yep, yep. So, Tanar Banan, Hikehu Alino, Vikihata, Alshino. Let's stop here, actually, because the next part is going to go into some other stuff that goes towards the next stuff, and we already did quite a lot today. So,